It's the Two Under podcast. It's Newcastle's fifth victory in a row against Brentford. That's what we're here to talk about. I am Jack in Brisbane on this lovely Easter weekend, and I've got Bobby in Ballarat. How are you, Bobby? I'm good after a win. A um, few issues going on, but uh, nah, happy to be here. And I'm not so. I've got the heater on, Jack, just so you know. So we'll be cold <laughs> down here. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was about, it, I think it felt like 15 here today. So that was quite cold. So we were we were walking around the park in jumpers. <laughs> it's getting cold. And we've also got Dimmy, who's also in the freezing cold Melbourne. How are you, Dimmy? Good, mate. It is uh, it is very cold here. As you can probably hear, I'm a bit under the weather. The weather's turned to shit here. So I think the lack of sleep and the uh, shit weather is probably just catching up to me. But uh just like Bruno, I'm hanging on to the end of the season. <laughs> We've already established, Dimmy, that it's not the it's not the weather that's making you sick. It's the fact that you you're, you're running on one hour sleep because you watch. It's all the accumulation of points, or in this case, the accumulation <laughs> of no sleep. So, yeah, can't argue. All right. Well, Bobby, that's. I'm pleased you made reference to a few issues there because obviously this is a Newcastle United podcast. Obviously, we had an amazing win, and we're going to talk about that, but. We are going to get into VAR as well again, uh, and in particular reference to what happened in the Spurs v Brighton game, which does have a impact on Newcastle. But I think just for the pure injustice of what happened, I, I just watched the highlights before, and it's absolutely disgraceful, really. So there was obviously the VAR issues in the Newcastle game as well. So we will get into it all, but I want to focus really on Newcastle's fifth win in in five games. Uh, the third win in six days for us. Six massive days, three massive wins for Newcastle. It's the fifth game in a row that we've scored two plus goals. Um, so we've scored 13 goals in total over those five games. It's a second come from behind win in that sequence. So before Forrest, we hadn't won any 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 games at all after after losing. And um, we've done that twice now. Uh, I like the stat about London. We're unbeaten in London in the league this season. Wow. <laughs> we've only got Chelsea still to play. I think we've won four and we've drawn two now. Um, it's only the second time a team has beaten Brentford at their stadium, uh, Arsenal with the, with the other team. And it's the first time this season that Brentford have had back-to-back defeats. Um, there's a lot to talk about in this game. There was It was very much a game of two halves. But Bobby, you first. It was about, it was about 2 a.m. when the final whistle went in this game. How did you feel when you, when you heard that whistle go? relief really I think at half time we were on the chat a little bit and I don't think any of us were quite happy with the performance and we're all a little frustrated at what was happening Um, but that second half a few different changes credit to Eddie Howe again to have a plan B and to change it up to see what was not working for us and and mix it up a little bit so um, yeah relieved I think was the feeling but proud as well because you know I think me and you, Jackie, said that four points in this these two games would have been a stellar result. So to get six is just magnificent. So, yeah, yeah very happy. I think really I would have been happy with six points from or even five points in being unbeaten out of these three away games. Obviously, we've got one to go. But to have a perfect start, you can't ask for more than that, especially on the back of the Man United win only six days ago as well. And Eddie Howe had a huge reaction, Dimmy, after the second goal. And also at the end, he, he was he was a bit more fired up than he usually seems to be. So I think he understood the significance of this win uh, and the manner that it came about. 
But how do you think, Dimmy, this one compares to the two other wins this week, the Man United and the West Ham? Because it was a very different kind of game, wasn't it? Arguably, to be fair, the, the best win out of the three, I would say. I think you could see in the first half that the players are, are running out of legs. There's obviously not that many changes that happen game to game. And when you have three games in six days, there's going to be a toll, especially the way we play. So we did look heavy-legged. And the fact that we were able to sort of compose ourselves at halftime, Eddie makes some changes and completely turn the game around. And to be fair, we probably should have scored three, four, five. We'll get onto it later. But we should have put the game away and, and not sort of shit ourselves for the last five, 10 minutes as they were humping long throws in the box. So that the fact that we came back from one down, Brentford's a quality team at their their ground, small ground with a parochial home crowd, I think it is definitely the best out of the three and probably just just confirms what a stellar manager, stellar season we're having. Yeah, and Bobby, how how significant do you think that this run of wins might be at the end of the season? Because we've kind of had a few of the points of the season where we've won, won games. Uh, we won eight out of nine, I think it was, uh, at the start of the season. Um, so I just keep going back to that Miggy goal against Wolves. I think that was such a massive goal because mm. I think that that gave us the confidence to to go on and win these other games. I think if we'd have not beaten Wolves in that game, we would have gone into Forest feeling a bit worse. So I just keep going back to that goal, and I think that that's really kick-started what's been an outstanding run. But how how significant, Bobby, do you think that these three wins could be come the end of the season, this sort of run we're on? Well, it probably puts third place into perspective now. Like It gives us hope for... Not top, not just top four, but actually third. I think what this run does is cement our places. You know, the best of the rest. I think Arsenal and Man City are fighting it out for the title. Clear, you know, front runners in that regard. But our season deserves to be where we are. And you know, I think this this run of form just solidifies what we have been all about all season. And we, you're right, we have had these patches of wins, and they've all played their significance, but. I think this one now, just I'm now more confident than ever that we can get that third spot. You know, I think mm. doing it on the road, doing these games and having this sequence, I think now, I, I think it's third place is ours for the taking. We'll have a look at the league table a bit later, but I saw something about how uh, only five games ago we were we were a point behind Liverpool and now we're 13 points ahead of them. Uh, we've played a few extra games than they have in that time, but... Still, that's pretty amazing. And there was a point where Man United looked like they were out of sight as well. Um, and to have yeah. to have clawed them back and the, the goal difference keeps ticking up as well. So it's uh, kind of worth an extra point. So the, we've got two huge games against uh, Villa and Spurs coming up. And I think they're both top six teams. I think if we can if we can win those, I think it, it'll be it'll be very difficult for anybody to stop us getting top four at least and possibly top three. But this game didn't start very well. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure we thought at half time we were going to be in this uh, position that we're in. So that makes it kind of even better. But this is the team. Um, there was a little bit of a of a surprise, I suppose. Uh, not a surprise to anybody within the club, but we didn't know that Maxi was injured again. Although it's probably a decent uh, a decent bet that he would be at some point. So the the goalkeeper was the, um, and the back. Four were the same as ever. Pope, Trippier, Shaw, Botman, and Byrne. 
And then we had Bruno, Longstaff and Willick in the midfield and Murphy, Joe Linton and Isak came in for Wilson. Um, there was a bit of concern about Bruno as well, uh, who apparently walked off in the warm-up, um, pulling, he looked uncomfortable at something or other. So there was a bit of panic about that, but then he came out and completed the game in the event. But Dimi, this um, Maxi aside, which we obviously didn't know that he was going to be injured, did, was this kind of what you expected? Did you think Isak was going to come back in for Wilson? Um, I'm not sure if I expected it. I hoped Isak would come in. I thought he didn't deserve to, to lose his place. Obviously, Wilson did his job against West Ham. He came in, scored two goals. He can't do much more than that. Scored off the bench as well last week against against Man United. So he's doing his job and he's starting to look a lot sharper, which is which is great for us and great for competition. I was a little bit surprised, to be honest, that Gordon potentially didn't get a go. I thought he may have got a got a start, and potentially Murphy might have got a rest because he's been busting his nut lately, and he probably deserves a, a a game off. So I thought that could have been another change, but but yeah. But besides that, it's probably as expected, and and yeah, good to see Bruno could make it through the ninety. There was a few rumours that he was going to be out. Yeah, and Bruno is such a huge. Player. Like even when he doesn't seem like he's, um, if he's, even when he's not that noticeable, he's still just so good and so quality. He controls everything, uh, and he's very resistant to opposition teams pressing him and and getting into him. He just retains the ball and pops it off. So even when he's not outstanding, he still is outstanding. If that makes sense, he still mm. makes the team tick, and we still play so much better when he's in the team. But what about you, Bobby? Was there any sort of surprises in there? And we are confident with this team going into it. Yeah, no, not too many surprises. A bit like Dimmy. I would have, ex- you know, not expected, but thought that Gordon would get a start sooner or later. And whilst Murphy hasn't done anything wrong and deserves his place, I think, you know, this rotation, now that we've got some depth, would have happened. Um, obviously, Maxi missing was a surprise to all. But, um, yeah, not, not nothing there that I wasn't concerned about. And I thought the way we're playing in our form, we could do the business. It's pretty unlucky for Wilson to come in, score two goals, and then get put on the bench. Um, but what? I mean, it was probably the plan all along that he was gonna he was gonna play the West Ham, and then Isak was gonna play this one. And obviously, in this one, he he played just as big a part as Isak as well when he came on. And we're gonna talk mm. about that because that was a, a amazing bit of management, I think, from Eddie Howe, the subs he made at half time. But before that, the first half was a real. Struggle. Uh, we're we're going to talk about the the in sort of the in, incidents that happened, um, but the general pattern of the of the half, I, I would say that it was probably the worst. I can the worst we've played probably all season that I can remember. But maybe the Bournemouth the Bournemouth games were really bad as well. But this was sort of it felt like we were just getting dominated a bit through the middle, and the, I think the two strikers were causing a bit of a bit of issues as well. But Bobby, come to you first. What do you think happened in the first half? What What do you think was was wrong? Like, there's obviously talk that we were a bit tired and a bit fatigued after the effort of the last few days. But at the same time, Brentford had a, a game on a hard game on Wednesday as well against Man United. So, what do you put down the, the kind of the slow start to in this game? Um, watching it at half, you know, the first half, I thought um, it was down to fatigue. I thought this would get us sooner or later. The intensity we play at, I thought um, sooner or later our players are just not going to feel or be up at the races and not play at their best, which is 
understandable. <laughs> We've lost one game. Is it one or two games all year? Um, it's an incredible record what we're doing. So I thought if there was a down game, it, it's due soon. But um, that and the, I thought tactically how was sort of beaten in the first half. He didn't and he couldn't make the changes needed when um, Brentford sort of crowded our, our midfield and the long balls in were sort of disrupting what we were trying to do. So, look, a few factors, but I got into halftime thinking, oh, it's a, it's a down game. We're due one, you know. It is what it is. Yeah, I'd, <laughs> I do this all the time. I'd written it off at halftime. I think it's a self, mm. uh, self-defence self thing where you just want to think, right, we're not going to win this. It's over. Yeah. I was looking at the league table, thinking what's going to happen if Spurs win or if Brighton win. So I just kind of written it off and then it just makes it all that more sweet when you come back. But Dimi, it was sort of a disappointing first half, wasn't it? For me, it was, I, I thought the two strikers for them, Tony's obviously a handful. We know all about him. But um, Schada was really good as well. It's only this, I think that was only his second start for Brentford. He's a German international. But, and they had, the, they were playing in the 3 5 2 as well. So the kind of, the kind of sit deep, but then they play it forward quickly to Tony and, you get to flick ons, and I think um, Shah and Botman were a little bit. Uh, they, they just seemed a little bit unsure. Maybe it was because there was two of them they were, they were up against. But what did you kind of make of it, Dimi, in the the slow, slow start to the game? Yeah, we'll definitely add a sorts in the first half. I think as as the half were on, you were just hoping we could hold on to to nil nil and just get to half time and regroup because there was only one team that was looking like they were going to score and potentially more than one goal. If they went up 2-0, maybe who knows how the game would have gone if they've gone 2-0 up at halftime, not mm. not 1-0. So we'll talk about the the couple of big moments. But yeah, I'm not sure what it was. They obviously play with a high intensity as well. And it's a very, very small ground, Brentford's ground. And it, it can seem seem quite small when there's not many gaps that you can pass the ball around, which which seemed to hurt us. Plus the fact they overloaded the midfield, which like Bobby said. So there was a couple of factors that, that hurt us. And we just weren't as sharp as as we could have been. There was probably signs against West Ham, to be fair. We weren't razor sharp against West Ham. West Ham were putrid defensively and, and that helped them. We were clinical, but we weren't razor sharp on the ball against West Ham. So there was signs that we were a little bit off and potentially this was this was coming. But but yeah, I think just just the lack of intensity that we played with and uh, paired with the fact that their intensity was through the roof and their fans were, were roaring them on. I think that was of a recipe for disaster for that first 45. Yeah, and Brentford are a team that don't mind the opposition having the ball as well. So there was one point of the first half between around 50 and 25 minutes where we'd had, uh, I think it was something like 70% possession or it was even more, I think. So they, and I, I read a stat that they haven't actually won a game all season when they've had more possession. So they kind of do sit deep and then break quickly and they've got, a couple of good attackers who can really make a difference. But there was it was a very eventful first half. There was a lot of incidents, and it was mainly at our end of the pitch, uh, our defending end. The first one was the, the Tony goal on nine minutes. Um, it was kind of... We let the cross come in, and it was a good header. Pope made a really, really good save. Uh, first of a few good saves he made in the game. And then Tony was on hand. Dimmy, this one... Did it? Did you think it might be offside when it went in, or did was there any kind of thought of that? Because to me, it just looked like a goal. But I did kind of hope it would get pulled back and get looked at, like they all seem to these days. From yeah, from the first 
from the first effort in terms of when Tony scored, it didn't look offside. It just looked like he got in behind us and it was a as a clean goal. But for, even from the first replay, it did look like he was leaning ahead of the of the last man. So you were hoping that that was going to be disallowed and it was sort of reminiscent of the previous Brentford game at St. James's Park where they actually did score first, but it was disallowed. And mm. it sort of gave me thoughts to that. I, obviously, I wasn't expecting a 5-1 return yeah. after that, but it it did remind me of that, that they did come out of the blocks quicker than we did. Same thing happened at St. James's Park and you were just hoping that VAR weren't going to fuck it up and, and sort of just, just do their job. <laughs> Well, it was a very lucky escape this one, wasn't it? Because basically, I think his his armpit was offside <laughs> compared to I think it was Cher who was. Uh, you could see he was leaning, like he was leaning ahead. But uh, I think this was one that we kind of got away with. And Bobby, this should have been a bit of a warning shot, shouldn't it? That uh, we needed to start sort our shit out quite urgently. Yeah, we just looked off the pace at that point, and I think the comments were flying in on our chat that. We, you know, what are we doing? We haven't seen us play this badly for a while. So I think um, when that went in, I think the initial reaction was, oh, we, you know, it was coming. And then we were we were lucky with um, VAR actually getting a correct decision. But we know with VAR, it's all chuck lotto most of the best yeah. of times. Yeah, well, the, what happened after that was we didn't really take it as a... That, that's the point where we did get back into it a little bit and we had a lot of the ball, but they were still threatening when they were going forward. And then uh, I was talking about Shah earlier getting beaten. He just got beaten all ends up on the touchline. And then Botman, Botman was like, right, I'm just going to... F- I don't care. I'm not, this isn't going to be a VAR one. I'm just going to absolutely bulldoze him. <laughs> and there's absolutely no doubt about this penalty whatsoever. I don't care how one-eyed Newcastle supporter you are. Mm. Dimmy, you're probably the most one-eyed Newcastle supporter. That was a penalty, wasn't it? <laughs> it was one of those tackles that you go, oh, yeah. That is, <laughs> he's got there's, not, there's not much you can say that he didn't do. He was, Look, I don't think it was a red card challenge, but it was it was probably orange. It was probably between yellow and red. It was not a great tackle and just completely wiped him out. I think it just summed up really that the centre-backs were a little bit off and, and yeah, that was just clear, clear as day. <laughs> the funny thing as well was he could have kind of just ran, like Botman could have just ran and jumped past him and he still would have put him off and, and he, he wouldn't have touched him <laughs> and he wouldn't have got the... But he just absolutely clattered him. But I suppose when you're six foot four and built like him, it's quite hard to get out of the mm. way. But at least with this one, there was no doubt and there was no complaints about this. So that was definitely a penalty. Up steps Ivan Tony, who's scored his previous 32 or 31, I think it was. Uh, he doesn't miss penalties very often. But then he, he came up against. Oh, <laughs> came up with. That was a really good save. It's not very often that a goalkeeper catches a penalty. Mm. Uh, he didn't, you know, didn't pat it away. He actually just caught it and fell on it. But you probably weren't expecting Bobby uh, that to be saved with with Tony's record. No, you, you put it down and you walk off to get a cup of tea or coffee or whatever you need at that time of night. You think we're one nil down, and fair enough too. I thought at that stage, I thought the challenge from Botman deserved the penalty. Um, it was brought out of frustration and the frustration we were feeling as fans from the game. And I thought, all right, one nil, I'm going to go get a cuppa. Then you turn around and <laughs> it's in his hands and you think, what the fuck just happened there? You've got to replay um, exactly what happened. I don't think it was a great penalty. I think he tried to 
confused which way Pope was going and, you know, Pope guessed right. So, yeah, well, lucky for Nick Pope. Nick Pope. Yeah, it was a it was a good save, uh, and it was it was another let off though because we, we did we did deserve to be behind by this point with the disallowed goal and the save penalty. But you kind of think that when that happens, you're going to get a bit of a, a boost, you know? Like you know, it's it's kind of as good as scoring a goal yourself mm. in a way, saving a penalty. Um, but then about ten minutes later or so, there was another incident, and this was bollock. This was bullshit. This one. So we're going to talk about this in in the context of VAR again. I think the problem with this was I counted, or I didn't count, but I saw afterwards when I was watching, there was four minutes between the incident, which was Isak kicking or making contact with the attacker um, in the box. Uh, There was four minutes between that and the penalty actually being taken. So there's a couple of issues, which is firstly, was it a foul, which I don't think it was. I don't think Isak was looking at the attacker. Uh, and it's also the consistency thing because uh, so many times this season, in, including last week, Shaw got kicked in the head against Man United. And it's happened a few other times where there's been contact like that in the box and we haven't been awarded a penalty. And I'm sure it's happened in other games to other teams as well. Um, but for some reason, this time, the the VAR referee decided to look at it for about three minutes. Uh, and when it when it kind of starts ticking over like that, Dimmy, you start getting worried, don't you? You kind of start thinking, this, is, this, isn't gonna, this isn't looking good. And especially when he then sends him to have a look, you kind of know mm. that it's going to be given there, don't you? Dimmy, what was your, yeah. Yeah, what was your take on this, this decision? Yeah, it's, it's a shame, to be honest, because we've been told for, for years that, or since VAR's come in, it's it's the clear and obvious error that it's there to to overturn. So if Pork Chop VAR official is watching it for three and a half minutes, and he's got about fifty different camera angles they're going through, they're reversing it, they're playing it, they're reversing it. It reminds me of the the hot spot or the the snicker in cricket where they're just trying to find something that's not there. Mm. But the more you look at it, the more you you might find something. And the referee didn't call anything at the time and. In that incident, you, you just got to go with the referee. If you're not going to make a decision after 20 seconds or 25 seconds, it's not clear and obvious. Move on. That, that's the there should be like a time, a, a clock or a, a stopwatch or something on this incident. If you can't make a call in 20 seconds, it's not clear and obvious. You move on. But but you're right. As soon as he's gone over to the the TV, you think, guys, oh, going to give it 100 percent because there's no way he's watched it or the VARs watched it for four minutes, recommended him to go have a look at it, and then say. Yeah, nah, it's not a penalty. So it was going to be given after that. And look, they deserve the lead, but it was a the process was was ridiculous. Yeah. So this is what Jamie Rubin said. Uh, obviously, he's biased, <laughs> but he went on Twitter and he said, not specific about today, but it's clear VAR whilst a positive addition takes too much time and varies too inconsistently from game to game. He said, perhaps we should allow VAR officials to review the play only twice for a maximum one minute. And if they can't derive an opinion from that, then it's unlikely to be a clear and obvious mistake and the on-pitch decision should then be allowed to proceed. That's basically what you've just said there, Dimmy. Bobby, would you? what was your take on the kind of the incident itself? And then do you agree with what Jamie Rubin and what Dimmy said there about the process of VAR? The only thing I don't agree with what Jamie Rubin said 
is that VAR has been a positive addition. Yeah, me too, yeah. It, yeah, it, yeah. it is not in no way, shape or form has VAR been a positive addition. Even when <laughs> what's happening is with, you know, with the Joel Linton goal last week, you know, with the sharp pass and stuff like that, it's, it's just so mind-numbing with what goes on with VAR at the moment. Um, what was I feeling at the time? Pure. It was it was like Benny Hill music going on. I could not believe that they were fucking reviewing this thing and they took so long. And then, as Dimmy said, once the ref gets called over, you go, nah, surely not. He's not, he's not going to award this penalty. That can't be right. We've just got flashbacks of every player being kicked in the head in our box. And... <laughs> And this is going to be paid. You're you're not serious. And then when it is, you know, it's just a clusterfuck. It is. It's honestly, it is just. We'll get onto more discussions on VR later, later where I'll probably explode. But no, nah, at the time I was fuming, to be honest. Yeah, it was. Uh, it wasn't good, and you know, it's just the the process just takes so long and. I think a problem with this is that referees need to have some balls here, you know? Like, I don't know whether Darren England on the VAR is more experienced than um, Kavanagh, who is the ref, but it's only happened once this season, as far as I'm aware, where the referee has gone, been sent to the monitor, and then he said, no, that's wrong. My, my decision was right. And that was Michael That was Michael Oliver, who's an experienced and really good ref, who unfortunately doesn't referee us because he's a Newcastle fan. Um, but that that's say, a well, big... I'll- Go on. Sorry, I'll say one thing. When the ref gets a earpiece going, I think you should review this, they go to the screen and they're talking. You can see them talking. They're obviously talking to the guy. And the guy's saying, look, his foot was up high. Da, da, da. They're influencing that ref. And you're yeah. right, unless they're a strong character to say, no, you don't know what you're talking about. I I know what I'm talking about. It confirms my decision, which 99% of the refs aren't of that caliber then of yeah. course they're going to overturn because a guy in the headpiece as it you know thought in his head so it's convoluted as well so just it's a nightmare to be honest yeah why can't they send them to the monitor but not talk to them and say have a look at this there's a possible infringement or whatever it is but don't actually say what they think the infringement might be and then let the ref go and make a decision because that ref has made a good call on the pitch because there was a lot of pressure from the Brentford players as well He's made a really good decision and then he's been pressurised really into going and reversing that. He would have got a lot of credit if he'd have gone over and just not reversed it and said, no, there's definitely not enough in that. There's no way that that's a clear and obvious error. And with this particular incident, you can see because Isak wasn't looking, you know, it was coming over his shoulder and he was just kicking the ball normally. And the Brentford player is like ducking his head down and he kicks him in the if there's even that much contact, but more in like mm. the st- stomach area, which is where his foot would usually be anyway. So th- there's those two thick two issues with this process. And we will, we are going to dedicate a bit more time to it later because I think it's just worth talking about it this weekend with, with what happened elsewhere as well. And there was one more incident in this game that we'll talk about as well. But despite that, I, I don't think anyone could, could deny that we were, you know, we we were we weren't value for a draw at half time, so it's it was fair enough, I think, that we were a goal down. Um, even though we'd had sixty-four percent possession, we'd only had two attempts to Brentford six. Um, so it was a very different kind of performance from us, um, not one that we're we've been used to seeing this season. And we talked a 
a bit about the reasons for that. And I think it was the fatigue and, you know, three big games catching up on you. Um, mm. But then with the fatigue thing, it's like, it, it kind of doesn't make sense that if it was fatigue, it was just fatigue. How come they came out and played like they did for the, t- the first 20 minutes of the second half? Um, so there was definitely more to it, which was, I think, the tactics as well. Um, but yeah. what what Howe did was such a good, and it was such a brave and courageous thing to do because maybe you just thought we've got nothing to kind of lose. We're, we're down anyway. We might as well go for it. But he brought on Wilson and Gordon for Longstaff and Murphy. So Longstaff, this happened to Longstaff in the cup final as well, where he got hooked at half time. Isak came on from that time, and you had Wilson and Isak playing up front together. Um, and Gordon came on for Murphy. So it was kind of like a 4 2 3 1 kind of situation with uh, Isak in behind Wilson. Um, but Dimmy, these changes made such a point. And I think. It was just the fact that I, I felt when I saw them coming on, I was like, this is good. You know, like you, you immediately felt like you, get, you got a boost from it. Because it was like to be to have this manager who's so brave, who's going to go and do it and have that extra added quality on the pitch as well. And you could just see that the whole team got a boost from it and the supporters and the way and did. And, and Brentford obviously had to change or had to worry about having two good strikers on the pitch as well and Gordon who was really busy going all over the place so uh, can you remember another time when there's been such impactful changes as this uh, as what happened in this game to me probably not the last time I can remember an impactful sub in in a massive game I think it was Burnley away a few years ago when we were fighting relegation and Maxi came off the bench and set up one and scored one and that sort of but that was sort of an individual performance more so than a than a double change. It it just shows where we, how far we've come though. So no disrespect to Murphy and Longstaff, but when you're bringing on Callum Wilson and, and Anthony Gordon, that that's a massive upgrade in terms of especially going forward. So to have the luxury of bringing those two boys on at halftime is is fantastic. That's what the other top teams do. They they can mix it up and, and make changes early. Don't just wait for the standard hour mark or. 65 minutes, make the changes early. Why not? And straight away, you could see Wilson, when he came on, he made a difference. Isak getting, started getting on the ball more and all of a sudden, the whole vibe of the game changed, like you said. And and yeah, it, it was ballsy from Howe, but he probably thought, look, we're 1-0 down. Probably could have been 3-0 down. Let's, let's treat it as if we're a couple of goals down and let's really sort of turn the tables on them and try to put them on the back foot and it bloody worked. Mm. It's the proactivity, isn't it, Bobby? Like Dimmy's just said, instead of waiting 15 minutes or to see how things go when it's clear it's not working, it's that proactivity and that, you know, that courage really to go and throw them on. And Wilson, Wilson looks back to his best as well. So he, I think something was up with him, obviously, after um, in between around the cup final time, something was wrong with him. He wasn't training properly, but he just looks like with a Wilson of old now, doesn't he, Bobby? He, He made a huge impact in this game. Yeah, and he looks like he's enjoying his football again. Like he's just got a smile on his face. I think he likes playing with uh, with Big Dog as well, which mm. is different because you think with a guy, we we all know Callum's got a bit of an ego and he wants to be the top dog. So to have someone young upstart trying to challenge him, you thought that might play a role, but he's obviously enjoying it. And, you know, the courage of how, because this formation hasn't been used a lot as well. But I think what it did was confuse um, Thomas Frank as well. And 
make him have to shift. And I don't think he had that plan B in his arsenal as well. So it just changed the dynamic of the whole game, really. And it was um, beautiful to see. But I think the main change, yep, Callum and Gordon played a massive role, was but shifting Joel Linton back into the midfield. Yeah. It just that we were getting bullied in there. We weren't in the second half, and there was one reason mm. for it. Yeah. He's so fucking good, isn't he? He's just absolutely... Like, it's been well over a year now he's been playing in this position for us. And it's good at the minute because he can play out on the left as well. So that was the natural thing to do when Maxi was not there to to put him out there with, and with Willock as well, and they did the, the swap thing. But you do kind of miss that in the middle. You miss Joe Linton when he's not playing in the, the centre of midfield because he's just so strong. He's powerful. He's got good control. He can drive forward with the ball. He's just a monster. He's just a cannonball in there, roaming around. He got booked, or we thought he got booked after six or seven minutes, but I think you don't think he had. I think the TV said he had, but he hadn't. Yeah. Um. But and he he's the one who who scored the goal. So. The, the, the goal that got us back into it and you talk about his strength and you talk about his you know his, his ability his stamina and his um his physical attributes but what a bit of skill to to get in and to to score it doesn't go down as a, a Joe Linton goal because it came off the goalkeeper but I'll give this one to you as well Bobby because you're Joe Linton's biggest fan that little bit of skill to put Ben Mee on his bum and then to kind of still have the composure to just basically just run towards the goal and then release it at the right moment and get us back into the game. It was absolutely sublime, wasn't it, Bobby? He's got everything in his in his kit bag. He has got absolutely everything. He's big, he's strong, he's powerful. His fitness is he doesn't stop running for 90 minutes. He's just but he's got that deft skill and that touch and that know-how. In front of goals, he can freeze, but I think we're starting to see a a little bit improvement in that area, you know, his his finishing starting to come and he's just got everything. He can be the best one of the best players in the world. There's no mm-hmm. doubting that, I don't think. And he showed it like as soon as he moved into the midfield, whatever plans Thomas Frank had to bully at that three, it wasn't going to happen. And it was part of the reason why we got on top. And he's a huge part of the dressing room as well. Like you've obviously got not the cliques, but you've got him and Bruno who are obviously close. Uh, and there doesn't seem to be any sort of sort of separation with, with the other players. You have players who are who are close for for obvious reasons, because that's always going to happen when in a big group as well. But there's no sort of sign of sort of cliques or you know everyone seems to just get on get on together. Yeah. And Joe Linton's probably turned into a real voice in the dressing room as well. Um, and he just leads by example. When you see him play like that, uh, he, he's 26. How much more is to come from him? You know. There's a lot more to come from him and to, to have him with with us in this part of the kind of the journey and the project is such a, a special thing. And he looks every inch the 40 million uh, player that we, we bought and that we didn't see for a few years. And it just shows you what good coaching can do, doesn't it? He was yeah. absolutely brilliant in this game. And a couple of minutes later, so that gave us a real boost. And, you know, you're thinking we're well back into this. And just the way we were playing was so good. We were streaming forward at every opportunity. And not too long after that, Ice Cold Alex again <laughs> scored another goal. He got his eighth of the season. Uh, Dimmy, 
you can have this one nice bit of play from Wilson. Um, and it was good. It was good pressure actually to win the ball back. Uh, Bruno won it and Jolinton put the ball through for Wilson. Really good from Wilson. Like you said before, Bobby, he, he likes being the main man. Like he, he could have gone on himself and had a shot, but he saw his big mate in the middle there and he just laid it off. What about the finish, Dimmy? He's just getting better and better, isn't he? Oh, it's world-class. It, it's a world-class finish. It's, it's a perfect layoff, to be honest, because he can he can run onto the ball and and sort of strike it perfectly. But I mean, the the bloke is world class, and if he keeps if he keeps improving at, at this rapid rate, I think uh, sixty million is going to look like an absolute bargain because the the bloke is early twenties, sort of just scratching the surface of his potential. He's he's world class, and him in that little deeper role, making that late run, it worked perfectly. Wilson. Took the defenders wide, laid it off. It was a beautiful goal, and it, I think it gave Eddie a bit of food for thought for, for future games as well. That that they can play together, and is that coming from deeper? Can can definitely work as, and they can combine really well. And uh, he's he's just there's I'm lost for words to be fair to to, to talk about this boy because he's unbelievable and he's completely for me changed our outlook for this season. He's completely changed it in this in this last little bit and he can definitely be the focal point for us in the next couple of years. It makes you think where we might be if we had him up front when Chris Wood was getting a lot of games when uh, when Wilson was out or when Wilson wasn't fit. Uh, it's It took it's like a little time to, to get used to the league as well, but he had a really bad injury, which he sustained on international duty. So maybe that's not, it wasn't necessarily the worst thing though, because it's let him bed into to England and get settled. Um, and then, you know, Train, train a bit and see how the team plays and see how the team trains. And I, I know that Maxi said that he was been talking to him when he was in the treatment room as well about how how they like to play together. Um, but it was a, just an absolutely beautiful finish. Like he's, he, it's not the first he's done. He's just so cool to stroke it into the top corner like that. But do you think Bobby we might see Isak and Wilson play together from the start in some games, or do you think it's kind of a because we were talking about that in the chat earlier about the Villa game, whether we might see them start together, or do you think that's a bit too gung ho from the beginning at the moment? I reckon when we get the team we can get, I think how we'll want to adapt that four three three to sort of what he had in the second half, you know, four two three one or however that fluid system looks. I think in a perfect world, he wants Isaac, uh, you know, with another striker. I think that'll make him even better and cause more problems for other um, defences to worry about. So it could possibly happen. I think, you know, Villa are in amazing form and they're going to be a tough, tough match. So we know Emery's a good tactician. So to throw one like that and to, to confuse the the makeup of what he was going to do at home, it could be what we want to do. So who knows? But um, I like it. I think Wilson gets released yeah. a little bit because they're sort of worried about Isaac. And then Isaac gets released because Wilson shows his quality and he's such a fox in the box as well. So there's a lot going on. And I think teams are um, a bit disjointed because they haven't seen this a lot. But um, as we saw, they can work well together and want to work together, which is the main thing. It's got to be a nightmare for defenders to see that. Isak, because they, they marshaled him well in the first half and he didn't get much of the ball. But then to have Wilson come on and Isak's dropping into that space, which is where he got his goal from, but they'd be wondering what to do. Like, especially if you're not if you're not playing a defensive midfielder who's going to sit there and try and man mark him, 
Like he's so quick and he's, he's he, he pulls out to the left as well. But I suppose that this this was enabled, like we were saying before about that, that two in midfield, which when you've got Joe Linton playing like that and Bruno as well, like it's kind of better than having a two-man midfield because they're so good and they do everything, the two of them. So they kind of do the work of three people and then they enable mm. you to have that extra man in the gap and the attacking midfield position. Um, and it's a bit like when we had Kabai and Teote, who when they were on form, they, they were kind of a two-man central midfield as well and you didn't need the extra man because they were so good. Teote was doing the Joe Linton, Joe Linton role of running around kicking people but winning the ball and you know doing the doing the right things as well. So I actually think I actually yeah. think Isaac and Gordon have been strategized pickups for this particular system. That's my belief. I might be wrong. They weren't picked up for the four three three. They were picked up in future years as young budding stars to play this type of system. So yeah. We'll see. Yeah, and Gordon is feeling his way into the team as well. Um, he's had one start, but he's going to be getting more starts as well. And he's got that look of just quality about him. You know, he's he's busy, he's quick, he tracks back. Um, and the, one of the goals against West Ham came about because he tracked back and won the ball. So that's what he's exactly what he's been bought for, you know. Um, and he's going to settle his way into the team. And all of a sudden, we've got all these young, uh, twenty early 20s attacking talent. And it's absolutely amazing to see and this was like probably the from from probably the worst half of the the season it went to the easily the best kind of 20 minutes that I could think of because of what what had come before and it wasn't long till Wilson got his goal as well he thought he got his goal <laughs> it was disallowed mm-hmm. it was kind of bobbling around um and from a corner and he he, he stuck it in and then the the commentators seemed quite quite certain quite early that this was going to be chalked off or that something had happened um but was it dimmy was was it a handball should it have been disallowed like we'll talk about this we're going to talk about VAR in a minute but should that have actually been disallowed because apparently the rule is if if it directly leads to a goal it doesn't have to be a deliberate or something which is a new rule that i'd not not heard about but what, what was going on with this one dimmy yeah, that in terms of the first thing you said, that's definitely a thing. It's even not deliberate handball. If it hits your arm, it's it's and it's score and you score a goal, it's handball. Whereas if it doesn't, if it hits your arm in the middle of the pitch and it's not deliberate, it's play on. So I don't know how that works, but that that definitely is a rule. But I was under the impression, and I think I'm right, but I may be wrong. But if it hit the shoulder or the sleeve up to the shoulder, mm. and then your arms by your side, that's that doesn't count as handball. And it looked like from the angle that we saw, it looked like it hit his sleeve. So the commentators did seem very certain. It did it did get chalked off pretty quickly after they started reviewing it. So I'm not too sure what, well, who knows what VAR's looking at. But to me, I think that was potentially a, a, a clean goal. If it definitely, if it hit his shoulder, his arms were by his side. I'm not sure what else you want Wilson to do. The ball came at him from basically mm. point blank range. He can't just disappear. It, it's hit him. It's hit his. It's he's, he's not. He's, he's got like, an yeah, arm. Yeah, exactly right. Well, he's he's, got his arm's got to go sake. somewhere. And it's not like he's put it out like that. He's put. He's kept his arm by his side. It's hit his sleeve, and he's finished it. So I, I, I don't know what else you need the striker to do there for that to be given a goal. So 
yeah, for me, wrong decision. Yeah, like like you said, Bobby, what's he supposed to do with his arm? <laughs> like, there's only one bloke I there's only one bloke I'd know who'd be able to move his arm, and that's my brother who's double jointed in his shoulder. <laughs> um, he'd have to have quick reflexes to move his arm away because what else could he do? Like it's just anyway, we'll, we'll get and, into the AR and, later. And again, it's not it's not a clear because the referee again made a good decision initially and he let the goal stand and then mm. he was told no, it's not it's it's hit his arm, so it's a handball. But let's just let's just talk about VAR now because it, we there, there are two decisions there that that have gone against us. In the in the interest of balance, I think that we got away with the um, Wolves game where Pope could have been sent off and given a penalty away against Jimenez. So that's one of them where I think we probably got away with it this season. But we've been sort of a victim of it a lot more. I think that the Palace game in particular um, is really bad. Um, so. This uh, this has been a bit of a talking point this weekend because Brighton were absolutely shafted, worse than I've, worse than anyone I've ever seen be shafted before by VAR. They had they had two goals disallowed for dubious handballs, they had two penalties denied, and there was a load of other stuff around late tackles that weren't given. And um, but they they ended up losing that game two one. But this. Leads people who were who were otherwise you know sensible, um, rational people who don't think about don't think conspiracy theories theories are real, <laughs> or don't don't believe there's corruption in the Premier League. But Bobby, it makes you wonder, doesn't it, when you see this? It, it gives it gives fuel to the fire of these kind of thoughts that something's going on, whether it's intentional, whether it's sort of subconscious. But what? How can it be that? that this can happen to, and it always seems to be to the benefit of the, the big clubs as well. What, what's it about Bobby? And, you know, how did you feel about the way Brighton were trapped this weekend? I watched that game because I, I saw a few tweets. Obviously I was um, sleeping, catching up after the air game, wake up and saw it. And I thought, all right, I'll have a look. And I just got angry. Mm. I got really, really angry. Like fuming angry, and it's not my not my club. And let's put this straight: I have gone on record and saying Brighton is more of a threat to our top four hopes than what Tottenham were. So the result wasn't what I was looking at. Spurs fans, I don't give a shit. Like it was, it was pure and utter garbage. What was dished out to Brighton and not fair. It's simply not mm. fair. How do they how do they get these many decisions wrong with replays? Like the the stomp on the foot on. Um, What's his name? Mitomimo or whatever Mitoma. his name. Yeah, Mitoma. Yeah. Mitoma. <laughs> it's just, and I see PGMOL have come out and apologised saying that was a wrong decision. Like, fantastic, guys. That's what you want after that. Like, just <laughs> a apology. It's like they've planned it all along. Like, I, I'm with you, Jack. Like, I try not to think conspiracies and everyone's out to get us or the big six are protected. But hmm. when you see stuff like this happening and then... And you see the Super League stuff and you hear the way these top six can form and want to protect their European places because otherwise, you know, who knows what happens. You can't help but think there's something going on because mm. what I saw in that game was downright corruption. Mm. It's simple as that. In my opinion, it was downright corruption. Keith Keith Hackett, who was the used to be the boss of the refs, who came on our pod, he he's he's good value on Twitter. He was on Twitter saying that 
it was just disgraceful and the decisions were terrible. But he says that he defends the um, the integrity of referees and he thinks it's just incompetence. So they're not being if it's incompetence, they're not being trained properly, you know, like or and, and it's not just the referees, it's like the, the VAR and the whole system and then the the way that they must be because they have these days where they go to PGMOL and they do all these training things and they talk about the review incidents that have happened and then they go over them. But Dimmy, you're you're Greek, you know all about corruption. Um, if this, uh, <laughs> if, if if this is corruption, right? Okay, how practically would this work? Would they all sit in a like? Would, would they sit in a room, or would it be like WhatsApp messages or something? Or because there's there's got to be so many people involved in this, and like the the, the the boss of the referees can't go and say, "By the way, lads, we've got to we've got to give decisions for the big six, surely," because it would just come out somehow. Like there's so many people. There's what there's what twenty five referees that would be involved for one. One of them would blow the whistle or something. Or how how would it actually work? Or do you think what what do you what's your take on on this, Timmy? Look, as as you guys know, I'm I'm a pretty level headed person. I don't get too emotional or, <laughs> or over the top about about decisions. But if if I was a Brighton fan at that game, I probably would have been on the pitch. That 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 probably would have been the point of a pitch invasion, and the game had to be stopped. I mean, to be fair. That 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 coach who got sent off for, for Brighton had every right to lose his marbles. And if Brighton's players started walking off, I, I wouldn't have been upset about them from walking off because that, that was a disgrace. And it's more it's more for me the the lack of accountability for referees and and just officials and they hate admitting when they're wrong. I mean, great, they've admitted this morning that they're wrong. That's that's fine, but but what's the punishment for that? Because if you look at the end of the season and these decisions accumulate and, and are wrong you're potentially costing clubs millions of dollars let alone players let alone supporters who don't get to see certain games now because they're not in european competitions there's just a whole layered effect that that these decisions end up causing if the referees don't seem to be punished i i love saying at the at the aussie rules when the umpire has a bad game send them to the bush or send them to the <laughs> to the lower leagues to to learn how to be better umpires and it seems in, in England, I'm not sure they do that. I'm not sure if they go down to the championship or if they go down to league league one or two. If they're in the Premier League, they're in the Premier League. So mm. you can't really punish a referee in the Premier League. Okay, you've, you've done bad in Tottenham Brighton. Go referee Southampton versus Bournemouth or go mm. referee another game. It's just, it's just a revolving cycle of incompetence. So the whole process of, of referees in terms of how they're scored is... Is, is obviously wrong, but obviously there's not a lot of referees out there, which is which is another issue entirely. But but yeah, in terms of yesterday's game, I mean, Brighton fans, I'm not condoning violence or pitch invasions, but but they should have been on the pitch yesterday. That was the <laughs> should have been on the pitch. Yeah, yeah. I think I think referees get sent to the um, they just get a week off. I think like if they have fucked up, you know, they just get a week off and then they're back doing fourth official the next not week, enough. and then they're back refereeing a few mm. weeks later. And at least with us, like our recent problems with VAR, we've still won those games. There was the Elliot Anderson one at Forest, which like, it, I, yeah, that was just disgusting. Uh, but at least we won that game. Um, and, uh, you know, at least we won today's game as well. Brighton, that, that's a big, a big three points that they didn't get, that they should have got, because they, they would have won that game. Um, so... It's a and, and it could obviously it could impact us because Spurs are battling with us for top four. But 
it's been a while since I've I've seen so many people of other clubs so united and rage, uh, you know, on behalf of another club who we've got no connection to. And I think that just shows you. It was just the fact there was four blatant, you know, bad decisions. If you want to be kind and say bad decisions. Um, and it was just such a, a shame for them. And uh, it's going to keep happening. It's going to keep happening. They're going to keep having these discussions about VAR until something happens, until it changes properly. Everyone is getting told that Howard Webb is now in charge of the PGMOL. I know Keith Hackett's keen on Howard Webb. Um, Shearer as well, he was on Match of the Day saying that he was told by Howard Webb that VAR was not supposed to be re-refereeing games. Um, But here it is happening. So something's going wrong with it. And maybe in the summer they'll do a review and try and change it because it's, it's... causing problems it's causing big problems for the the kind of enjoyability of games you can't even celebrate a goal now you know worry that it's going to be chalked off for some reason so and you know that's from someone who um who whose team conceded who benefited from a var decision today with the tony disallowed goal and then also um had had one chalked out so it won't be the last time we talk about var and like i said luckily it didn't change the outcome of this game but I do feel for Brighton fans. I think it's it was they were absolutely shafted and screwed over really bad. Um, and we will talk about it again, I'm sure, at some point, unfortunately, because it keeps happening all the time. But the, this the Wilson one kind of it, I think that got them back into it a little bit because up until then we were all over them and it, there was only going to be one winner. But then Brentford came back into it a bit. Um, they had one header from from Tony, which was well saved by made another really good save down to his left, got that big paw paw on it and clawed it out. Um and they had a few other kind of headers going over the bar. But Bobby, it never kind of really felt like they were like they were going to be capable of of scoring, did it really? Like they had those few half chances, but they weren't consistently creating much in those last 20 minutes or so. No, nah, I think I was pretty comfortable that we could see this game out. I was thinking it was going to be three for us rather than they get back into it. So I thought um, we looked comfortable. I mean, I think we laughed about this earlier, Jack. Um, someone mentioned about Brentford being stoked with energy. <laughs> um, that's pretty much their game plan. They're, they're very energetic and they, they pressure high, but they've got one motor operandi to, to score and once we covered that base, I think we we're pretty comfortable with our defence. So, yeah. Yeah, and they're kind of very reliant on Tony, which is fair enough because mm. they're a club of a certain size who's got one, you know, he's an international class striker. So how long, how much longer he's going to be playing for? Who knows? Because he's got his can I, can I ask? Can I ask why he's allowed to play now? Like, I don't understand. Hasn't he been found guilty? Like, I'm not. I don't know. I think he's been. I think he's been found guilty of some of them, but he's appealing. I think. Yeah, because it's going through. Correct, because it's going through the system or the appeals okay. process. It's, it's sort of delaying his state of execution. So you probably think it's going to happen at the end of the season, and it might get a whatever month ban going into next season. But but yeah, it is. I mean, if I was a team who he scored a goal against us to, to put us put us down. I'd be I'd be ropeable. I might might mm. even do a Sheffield United from a couple of years ago and try and get those those uh, players sort of deregistered and get the team promoted again. It's it is a bit shady to be honest, but uh, 
just another one of those dodgy Premier League things. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it does seem strange. And, and he, he got picked for England as well in the in the last break, so uh, which I was a bit surprised about because Gareth Southgate makes a big thing about how, you know, he, he likes character. nice people <laughs> and character, yeah. Um, yeah. But but that was it. We saw it out. Uh, and like I said, we became only the second team to beat Brentford away this season. Uh, every single time we beat someone, we seem to be breaking these clubs' records. You know, it happened against West Ham where I think they hadn't been beaten at home since September or something. Um, and Newcastle roll into town and, you know, we just beat them. <laughs> it was just... We're a really fucking good team. Like it's and it's it's taken some getting used to. Um and it's so good to see that we've clicked back into gear so well. And yeah, like we've got these two huge game huge, huge games coming up against Villa and uh, and Spurs. And I think if we can win them, I think I think we'll be nearly mm. cracking the champagne out. Um absolutely. I was but, having a thought. I, I, yeah. I can't remember I can't remember a Newcastle side being so good, so like rounded as well. Like, I just think I've never been, even back in the the mid nineties, Jack, and you might mm. remember this a bit. I don't remember us being so good. Like back then, it was the attacking. We we just out attack everyone. Um, yeah. But we, you know, we'd leave goals, the ability to score against them. That's what eventually led to our downfall in those title runs. But I can't remember us being so bloody good in all facets of the game and having this team that just I'm so confident in every week. Especially with defence. Like, we've never had a good mm. defence. So, And I think that's been the basis for everything we've done. But I think it's because we've got we've got a world-class right-back and we've got a, world, a potentially world-class centre-back as well. So maybe it makes sense to put those players in and, and you become good. But it's the coaching as well and the... The, the the system that they're all playing just works so well and, and it all makes sense and they're well coached and you can see it and even though teams know what we're going to do now like they still can't stop it like you know we, we were over-reliant on Mickey scoring goals earlier in the season and he's been injured and he hasn't been missed at all to be honest like which is funny to say that about your about your um your top scorer um but we've you know Murphy slotted in and we've got Gordon as well now so there's strength and depth so I think you're right. Like I can't. We've only lost three games all season, and we've only we've conceded six less goals than anyone else as well. So it's amazing. Yeah, here's the here's the stats from this game. We had 59% possession. We had 10 shots to their 12, um, and we had more touches, more passes. Um, and I think it's not on here, but I think we had more fouls as well. But it wasn't a particularly dirty game. Um, but Dimmy, do those stats sort of sort of resonate with what you made of this game? Yeah, I'd like to see the comparative. I think the first half we probably, if we had a shot or two, it wasn't really threatening. So most of those shots that we had were were from the second half. So that does that does show that it does it does also tell us there was twenty seven clearances there. So we did had to defend a lot of set pieces, a lot of long throws, and I think we we did that relatively well and. It was, to be honest, a little bit unexpected. I've seen a little bit of Brentford, but I didn't think they were going to turn into the Rory Delap long throw machine and turn, <laughs> turn into in the last fifteen minutes. That was that was a bit surprising. But fair play to the lad; he was heaping them in there. But uh, but no, I think we did deal with them relatively relatively well. Yeah, and uh, 
the second half would had had eight shots in the second half, four on target. So like the West Ham game a bit, we sort of completely outplayed them for most of the second half. I think we we're absolutely brilliant for that period of time. One thing probably that did happen was Gordon, who got subbed on, then got subbed off <laughs> with like with like yeah. thirty seconds, if that, to to play. Um, and he was pretty unhappy about that. Some people are kind of making a little bit of a fuss about this and saying it's disrespectful and he shouldn't react like that. I don't care about this. I think he's he's a young a young kid who just wants to play and he just wants to win. Um, and he wanted to finish the game. And you know, no no sub likes being subbed off. But I think something happened with his ankle as well, didn't it, Bobby? Where Howe said that he was worried about his ankle, and it's not a big deal. This is it. It's a bit of a storm over nothing, Bobby. Yeah, I think so. Like, I mean, there's different reports. So one saying how brought him off because of his ankle. Adam Peacock thinks it was because of some incident where he didn't track back and gave away a foul yeah. and almost conceded. And then you've got the tactical waste time um, story, which I think is probably where it was at. Um, and then his reaction is a guy that you want, who wants to be on the pitch mm. and doesn't want to come off and he's young and hungry and everything we want in our players. So move on. He, you know, Richie was good at the end, putting his arm around him and, and talking and guiding that. I think we've got such a good dressing room and leaders and, and good morale that he'll be he'll be fine a minute after the game ends anyway. So, yeah, move on. Yeah, and if he's going to sulk, like he's not going to get far in this dressing room. Like I think we said that when he no. signed. Like if he if there's any signs of him behaving like a dickhead, he'll just get he'll get booted out for a while, you know, until he sorts himself we'll, out. Yeah, we'll flush the Evertonian out of him. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. We'll look at the league table in a minute, but man of the match, uh, Dimi. You can go first with this one. Who do you think was the man of the match? I think it has to be Joe Linton, doesn't it? His, his second half display, just bossing the midfield, just terrorising everybody. I think he was obviously didn't turn the game solely, but him moving deeper alongside Bruno, I think, was probably the main catalyst for us to get control of the game. Yeah, I agree with that. I think uh, I think he was outstanding in the second half. Uh, and his his goal or his forcing of the own goal got us back into it. You're not going to disagree with that, are you, Bobby? I obviously concur. <laughs> Good. There was a you know honourable mentions for. Um... <laughs> I think he had a good game. Uh, he, he made a couple of good saves and obviously saved the penalty. Uh, yeah. Bruno Bruno did what Bruno does, which was mostly control the ball in the middle. Um, and I think, yeah, Isak, obviously, and Wilson are both bang on top of form, which we're going to need going into this little run coming up. Here's the league table. There we are sitting in third. Three, third, five straight wins. Uh, the goals four column is looking a lot nicer now. So that's up to 48, uh, which is the joint fifth most in the league. And so City, Arsenal, uh, Spurs... And Brighton have all got more, and we've got equal with Liverpool. And then we're we're far and out the the, the meanest defence. Uh, we've only conceded twenty one from twenty nine games, which is brilliant. But we're on equal points with Man United with the same games played, and we are three ahead of Spurs with a game in hand, which is against Brighton. Villa have gone on a real good run, and they're up to sixth, uh, but they're still nine points behind us, and we've got a game in hand over them. And then Brentford and Fulham have kind of dropped off a bit like he expected they might. And Brighton are in there in seventh. And Liverpool are still 
ambling around in eighth, uh, 13 whole points behind us at the moment. Bobby, that's looking pretty good at the moment, isn't it? With only single figures games left as well, down to nine games mm. left. Yeah, definitely. It's looking very, very good. And I'm very confident now that I haven't been all season that we could get that top four, but I'm pretty confident that at least we'll finish in the top four. I believe. I think they're run a form and everything is gearing up. I think we're playing our best football now. As you said, the attack is starting to, to roll in as well. We're scoring goals again, which was a, a bit of a an issue for us. Um, not bad for time wasters, eh? That goal comment. <laughs> The dark arts. Thomas Frank was talking about that again today. Fuck off, honestly. We've been we've been through this shit before. <laughs> it's it's been proven to be a load of bullshit. So, Dimmy, I remember I remember being on a pod with you too. Um, it must have been in the middle of that run where we were we won eight out of nine, and I was we were talking about oh, are we going to make the Champions League? And I think at that point we were thinking, I was thinking this is just like a bit of a pipe dream still, but. When you're sitting in this position, Dimmy, with nine games to go, it's starting to look very probable, I'd say probable, that we're, we're going to finish in the top four, especially with the form of Spurs um, and to have to have Spurs and Brighton to come at home and we've got relatively kind fixtures. But you're probably going to, you probably think we're going to finish third, do you, Dimmy? Are you thinking we're going to beat Manu to third? Every chance, every chance. I didn't have that on my ladder predictor, so I've got to stick with fourth. But uh, I do, I do think our form is is peaking at the right time. And with Big Dog just on fire, Wilson, like you said, back in form. There's no reason why we're not going to be scoring goals. And and like you said, we've got the meanest defence in, in the land. So everything's pointing towards us securing that top four position. And yeah, it's it, it'd be an amazing effort if we could do it. And we're so close now, like you said, we're only nine games away. It's actually come up come upon us very quickly that it's only nine games left. It felt like there was a lot lot more of the season to go because this season sort of never never ended because of the World Cup. But we're only nine games away now and hopefully we can get a couple more results in the next few weeks and sort of just secure that spot. And I worked out earlier that I think we're on 1.93 points per game at the moment over the season. So if we continue that, we'll, be, we'll finish on 73 points which is almost certainly going to be enough for top four and probably might even be enough for third. So that mm. we're going to have some party if we get in the Champions League. <laughs> we're going to start. I'm allowing myself to start thinking that it might actually happen now. Um, but how nice is it as well to not be involved in this horrendous relegation battle uh, like last season? <laughs> but it's still looking tight down there. But Bobby, it's good, isn't it? Isn't it good, Bobby, to not be involved in this and to be able to just watch these games from afar with a smile in our face. Oh, with popcorn in hand, watching that relegation <laughs> battle, just going, and each team just nervous. I think, um, yeah, it's so so relieving after the few years we've had, but um, it's going to be a tight one. I, I don't know. I think Southampton are pretty much gone, I think. I think their confirmed lists don't look at all good, so they're in a bit of trouble, but, you know, Nottingham, Everton, Bournemouth, Leeds, Crystal Palace... Yeah, it's going to be a good one. And just looking, we've got four of that bottom five still to play as well. So there's another reason to be to be cheerful. We have, we have yeah, we've got we've got Everton, Leeds, Leicester, and Southampton all to play. Yeah. Can we Everton? Can we relegate Everton? Is that <laughs> on the cards? Uh, I think it might be a little bit too early for that because yeah, it is. 
for that. But yeah, damn. You're not allowed to say that, Bobby. You're one of your friends, Sharpie's an Everton fan. You've got to be nice I love Sharpie. He's one of the best blokes. <laughs> uh, honestly, he's one of the best blokes in the world, but he supports a shit football team. <laughs> All right. On that note, I think we'll call it a night. Another happy, happy night, happy day for Newcastle fans and a public holiday tomorrow. So uh, let's all go and eat some chocolate and just lie in bed and, yeah, relax a bit. Yep. Have a good one, boys. Get some Thanks, sleep, Jimmy. Jimmy. Get some sleep, yeah. Jimmy. Jimmy, yeah, please, probably, go and get, please go and get some sleep, due. will you? <laughs> probably do, yeah. I'll probably have to give the NBA tomorrow at 3.30 in the morning. Probably have to give that a miss, but we'll uh, we'll see how we go. <laughs> All right. I'll speak to you soon. Cheers. Happy Easter, guys. Cheers. See you.